it is uh, September 16th, it's 2012. Our message is called the Seventh Trumpet, right? Uh, today, while it is September 16th, it is also the 29th of Ul, E-L-U-L, in the Jewish calendar, their sixth month. It is the year 5,772. Judaism claims to be able to count from October in the Garden of Eden to right now to produce 5,772 years. It's difficult to reconcile some of these dates among scholars, but it is worth thinking about that we are approaching what if Psalm 90 verse 4, a day is as a thousand years, we're approaching the end of the sixth day. First uh, Peter 3.8 said the same thing. And it seems that there's this system in the Bible of weeks that repeat, of periods of seven that repeat over and over and over. And it is all pointing towards something. But one of the things that defines the month of Ul is the last ten days. Uh, this goes back, uh, back to Moses' time. The last ten days are days of introspection. They actually call them days of awe in Hebrew. And it's a time to reflect on the direction of your nation, uh, the direction of your family, and then your personal life. Kind of like one life, one family, one nation. It would be a time of recentering in your vision because in the seventh month, which actually starts this evening at about 7 p.m., in the seventh month, a trumpet would blow. And that trumpet would signal Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. The redemption of Israel was drawing near. This was so important to know the direction of the nation. I... While we think about the direction of our nation this morning, I want to point you backwards to two messages. I'm not going to reteach them, but they're online, and I'm telling you now more than ever, you should listen to these. I don't often endorse our own messages, but the first one is called Islam and Yom Kippur. It was taught September 12, 2010. The second one is called Understanding Islam. That was taught in October 12th of 2011. Those are messages that are worth hearing. They're messages that you need to understand because we're in an interesting time at the moment. Uh, Israel is mobilizing for war. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been saying it and saying it and saying it, and people think that it's just saber-rattling. But I personally believe there's a calculation at hand. He does not think that this administration will support him. And if they are re-elected, he may lose a valuable window of opportunity. This means that there is an extraordinarily high possibility that Israel will strike before uh, the November election. So, well, Eric, I'm in church. Why am I hearing about this? Friends, world history and Bible history coincide. The way God moves in the earth is by raising up leaders and taking down leaders. These are incredibly perilous times. Uh, I want to encourage you to pick up a newspaper, pick up a magazine. Don't set down your Bible, but look and see don't interpret your Bible based on what we see in the headlines, but look into the Word for direction about where we are in this time. Here recently, uh, just in this week's newspapers, because I, I don't catch the news anymore on TV, uh, I, I found these four statements. How about this? Um, if the reaction of U.S. officials in the face of such an assault on the, uh, um, on the consulate, on the embassy... If the reaction of the U.S. officials in the face of such an assault is to, quote, condemn the efforts of misguided individuals to hurt the religious feelings of Muslims and to try to silence citizens, then there is good reason for the terrorists to believe that with more acts of terror, they can change American policies. The unpleasant fact, this commentator said, is that at the moment, our actions 
are actually encouraging terrorism. Second quote, speaking with a group of Jewish leaders, our president has been quoted as saying he believes that to maintain, quote, credibility with the Arab states, unquote, he had to put some daylight between us and Israel. Friends, when America puts daylight between us and Israel, we might be putting daylight between us and God because this is his nation. Third quote, his administration sought desperately to engage Iran and Syria, two state sponsors of terror that have been killing Americans for decades. The same Joint Chiefs Chairman who told journalists in London that he doesn't want to be complicit in any strike on Iran's nuclear facility, now advises an American citizen to stop alienating Muslims. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen the video. I don't endorse it. I'm not telling you to watch it. But it's on the caliber of Monty Python. That's, I mean, it is a ridiculous video that is based on historical truth. And you know what? It was up for weeks before 9-11. It was up for weeks before the flash mob. Please don't buy into that narrative. It has nothing to do with it. It's simply a scapegoat. Our uh, current leader began his tenure as president in Cairo by saying it was his responsibility as president of the United States to fight against stereotypes of Islam wherever they appear. That's a direct quote. It happened in the speech in Cairo. Uh, if you are of the opinion that Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are all really three great world religions, that they're all monotheistic, that they all essentially teach different paths to one God, uh, I don't know how you could be listening to us over the last several years. Um, this ignorance cannot be tolerated in the world anymore because the people in the world that adhere to Islam are not going to allow you to believe something like that anymore. I want to encourage you to dig a little deeper, to investigate just a little bit. I'm about to share with you some verses from 1 John, and then I'm going to read to you from a copy of the Quran that I was given in 1999 by a Pakistani Muslim named Jim Chet Amal. I don't think he expected me to read it, but I did. And I was horrified by what I found. I want to tell you before we read this, though, a quote that Jacob Atkinson gave me. It says, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. If you have decided ahead of time that Islam is really just a, uh, another way to worship Yahweh God under a different name, and you will not investigate it, you are, you are barred against learning. You are sealing yourself in everlasting ignorance. The world media constantly says that these are the actions of a few radicals. It is not. It is the action of the majority. The few peaceful Muslims that you live next to, the ones that mow their grass like you, every other Muslim in the world considers backslidden. They consider them not true Muslim, not uh, following the way of Allah because they live next to infidels and they live like infidels. They see them as lukewarm and backslidden. I want to show you some things 1 John says. Actually, I'm going to start in John, the book of John, the 16th excuse me, chapter. Tell me when you're there. This would be 16 verse 1. If you have political sensibilities that I've offended, I'm going to lovingly tell you, get over it. I do not believe that the world's problems are solved in the political arena. I am not here to tell anyone where to vote. 
I am here to tell you that the most dangerous thing a nation can do is ignorantly embrace a demonic religion with a false prophet that encourages people to kill other people. And at the same time, distance yourself from the one nation that gave us every good thing that we have, including the book that is in your lap. Amen. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing. 16.1 All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Could it ever be any more true that the one people on the planet that we face regularly in our media every day believe that they are doing a service to God when they kill you? They, they jump up and down with joy over what happened at the Twin Towers. Every year for the last 11 years, they celebrate 9-11 by burning effigies of our current presidents, whatever they may be. They um, rejoice in the death of Americans. If Japan was doing this over Pearl Harbor, we would have another war. We would have another war right now because the generation that fought that war would never put up with it. But our generation is more concerned with what's happening at Starbucks or the gas pumps. We're more concerned about things that will not matter in a hundred years. This will certainly matter in a hundred years. Turn with me to 1 John. We will be there for just a moment. 1 John 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son, uh, acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This verse clearly says that to deny that Jesus is the Christ, to deny that Jesus is the Son of God, is the spirit of the Antichrist. You can skip over two chapters. 1 John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That was true then, and it's true now. There's never been a bigger false prophet, a bigger liar in the world than Muhammad. I'm not at all ashamed or scared to say that in a day when people won't say things like that because the church is cowering to Islam at every corner instead of standing up and confronting it. Muhammad is an absolute fraud. History demonstrates it. He murdered people. He was sexually impure. He had every issue in his personal life that cannot be found in the life of Jesus. But we would rather not look into that because then you might be compelled to do something about it. This says false prophets have gone out into the world. Galatians said, if an angel from heaven gives you a different gospel, they're eternally damned. There could be no worse gospel you could receive than Islam. It's the most retrograde force on the planet. And men like Winston Churchill said so. Said so publicly. So did men like Thomas Jefferson. It's only in our day that we will stand by and allow people to be enslaved by something and call it a religion of peace in complete data denial based on everything that's happening in the world. We do not see Southern Baptists blowing up planes. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, the essential testimony of the Spirit of God is the incarnation of Jesus. The living, walking, breathing deity on the earth. 2 John 7, you don't have to turn there, says it this way. Many deceivers 
who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Well, here's the book that I was given. You know, I was very thankful in my life. I've been given books by several cults, and I know many people don't do this, but I read them. I've got a copy of the Book of Mormon with my notes in it in the library. I'm no more fond of Mormons than I am fond of the Koran, but at least Mormons are not taught to cut your head off. I want to read you a couple quotes, okay? This uh, is Surah 4, verse 157. That they said in boast, we killed Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ, therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for a surety they killed him not. What is it if the book that is called holy, and called holy by our president, denies the crucifixion, of Jesus. But it does. It's plain as day in that there is no theologian, no Islamic apologist that can explain that away and they don't attempt to. How about this one? No incarnation. This comes from Surah 5 number verse 17. In blasphemy indeed are those that say that Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. Who then hath the least power against Allah if his will were to destroy Christ? The son of Mary, his mother, and all and everyone that is on the earth, for all belong to Allah. He clearly says that Christ and who they call God, Allah, are not the same and cannot be the same. And that if Allah wanted to destroy Christ, he'd destroy him. It clearly says that. No incarnation. How about this one? This comes from Surah 9, verse 30. The Jews call Uzea a son of God, and the Christians call Christ the son of God. That is the same from their own mouth. In this, they but imitate what the unbelievers of old used to say. Allah's curse be upon them. How deluded are they away from the truth. That clearly teaches that Allah has cursed you if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They actually believe that God can have no son. My last quote from the Quran, and then I'm going to put this very unholy demonic book away. You know, does it make you uncomfortable to say it's demonic? Because it is. This is worse than pornography sitting in our hands. Because it's enslaving about a fifth of the world's population and they're growing faster than any other religion on the planet. And the church just sticks its head in the sand because these people still kill you. This comes from Surah 10, verse 68. They say, Allah hath begotten a son. Glory be to him. He is self-sufficient. His are all things in heavens and on earth. No warrant have ye to say this. Say ye about Allah what ye know not. In other words, glory to Allah, but he's got no son. And if you say he has a son, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what this book teaches. Now, if 1 John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is one that denies Jesus is the son or that he was incarnate, and their book says it, and they are cutting off the heads of Jews and Christians, by the way, this book refers to Jews in at least four places that I found is apes and swine. It goes on to say it should strike at their necks. Maybe we ought to wake up. In summary, the Quran goes on to call Jews, apes, and swine, and then to command Muslims to strike at the head and the hands of those who oppose Allah. 
The book and the faith teach nothing short of world domination and the supremacy of Islam as the only religion in the world. It is demonic, it is a false prophet founder, was a barbarous warlord, and its followers are submitting to the same antichrist spirit that he did. Is that said in plain enough terms? But churches are not saying that. Why do you think they're not saying that? Because they are scared to death that someone will pick it outside. They're scared to death they'll be challenged. Would we have a Christian faith if our early followers of Christians were such cowards? Would we even have one? What if they'd said, don't you dare say that about Hebrew? Don't you dare say that about the Roman uh, idolatry? Don't you dare say Where would we be, friends? Praise God for those Jewish boys that changed the world. I hope to God that there are a few in our nation that have the same courage that filled them. Our message today is not about Islam. Our message today is about the seventh trumpet. But I do want to pray for Israel, and I want to read to you two scriptures before we pray for Israel. Is that okay? Yes. It's a non-traditional message, but I'm a non-traditional guy. This comes from Jeremiah 33. Get there so we can read this. We're going to start in verse 19. When you pray for Israel, I would like you to keep this uh, in mind. These are a couple scriptures that came to me that I think are the crux of the matter. Jeremiah 33, say there when you're in verse 19. It might be hard for our young people to outline this message, but I want to tell you parents, if you do not grasp the concepts that we're teaching you today, the world that they live in is going to look dramatically different than the world your grandparents gave you. I, w I want to tell you that. If you do not educate them about Islam, Islam is going to educate them uh, itself. Uh, I have traveled through almost every country in Europe, and it is so obvious there that it cannot be missed, and it is coming this way. We really, really need to wake up. Are you all in Jeremiah 33? Here comes verse 19. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the night no longer come at their appointed time, I'm sorry, so that the day and night no longer come at their appointed time. Then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken. Do you hear the sarcasm? Of course you can't break that covenant. And neither will God break his covenant with David or the Levites. And no longer have a descendant on the throne. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars on the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not noticed that the people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose, so they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. One of the giant movements in Christian theology is to say that the present Israel is a political entity and is not the Israel that the Bible speaks about. It will shock you if I begin naming the mainstream denominations that this is a part of their actual stated theology. It will shock you. It will hurt your feelings. So I won't do it today. You go look it up yourself and hurt your own feelings. One of the things that is necessary to sever America's relationship from Israel is the lie needs to begin to circulate among God's people that Israel is not important, that He's rejected them, or simply keep the people so ignorant they don't understand God's affection for Israel. If you can't stick your finger in your lips and then in the air and feel the spiritual wind that is blowing, 
Guys, that's right where we are at. This is what the Lord says. If I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and my servant and will choose one of his sons to rule, will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. The first prayer point for Israel is that we would not forget they are God's nation. Uh, this is so absolutely essential that we not forget their place in history. That entire wall chart right there is one testimony that God birthed the nation and that nation birthed the Messiah and you're here in love with Yahweh God because of it and that we owe them a debt. That is the purpose of that. You know, we don't have to go through all the World War II quotes that tell us for evil to prevail, all that has to happen is you good people sit here and do nothing. We better learn to raise our voice. And you primarily as an American, raise it by choosing better leaders. This last one comes from Isaiah 41. This is maybe the most important. It's Isaiah 41, get to verse 8, and then we'll get into the rest of our meeting after we pray for Israel. What kind of pastor shows a 20-minute missions video followed by a 20-minute rant on why Israel is important in the signs of our time? One that cares about our lives. I'm not interested in our entertainment. I'm interested in us fulfilling the purpose that God wants to move through us to do. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you, I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. The goal of terrorists is to create terror. They want Israel to be, to scared. be scared. They want America. They want us to stick our head in the sand and say, maybe if we leave them alone, they'll leave us alone. It will not happen, friends. Islam teaches world domination. So our prayer for Israel is that the nations of the world experience a revival that lets them know this is God's nation and that we should care. The second is that fear not take root in Israel. That, that, this is so important. These are prayer points. There's a movement even within Israel constantly just to make whatever concession it takes for peace. Just whatever it takes. This is not the shalom of God. It's not the right order and it will not work any more than if you give ground in your own household to an evil thing. It does not create peace. Land for peace didn't work out very well for the American Indians, did it? No. It won't work for Israel. And these people in Iran don't even want land for peace. They want the destruction of Israel. So we're going to pray for Israel. You know who else we're going to pray for? A revival in the Muslim world. See, if we could take Gloria's advice in the message called Glorious God, if we could be bold enough to not so love our lives as to shrink back from death, then you could be daring enough to speak to the person in the burqa who may not know the truth about Jesus. You could be bold enough to speak to the strangely dominant man who is leading his wife like a dog behind him in Walmart. You could be bold enough 
to risk something for the gospel. And you don't even have to go to Honduras to do it. We just have to learn to speak up now. Come on, all you have to do is pass a Shell gas station in the city of Sugarland, and you'll find a Muslim. Mm -hmm. Talk to them about Jesus. Ask them what they think about Israel. Confront them about things that are not true. Do it in a loving way so that it begins a dialogue. I do it everywhere I go. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we lift up Israel before you. Holy One, we lift up Benjamin Netanyahu. Lord, we know that you move in the governments and the affairs of men. So, Lord, we ask that you would direct Israel and its Knesset through dream, through vision. Lord, that you would move them to, to do your will on the earth. Lord, we pray for our own White House. We ask, Lord God, for repentance and a godly action. Lord, that you could, could redeem a legacy simply by standing with Israel. Holy One, we lift these, these things up before you and we ask, mighty God, for a revival in our nation of awareness of your plans and purposes for Israel. Lord, we pray for a hedge of protection around Jerusalem and around the people of Zion that they would not be subject to fear, but that they would be moved in faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray for those in Iran and we ask for a revival that changes the hearts of the people. Lord God, that awakens them to life that is really life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, saints. So, Cassidy preached on the reflections of dirt. She wanted to encourage us to interact with the Word as a mirror. Matthew preached on wholeheartedness, teaching us to firmly grip, to commit to, to God's plan before you understand His intentions or the end result. A kind of commitment without seeing the end. Jennifer preached on our desires to change the world, setting things in motion with our lives. These were all messages that were meant to move us to take advantage of this time that we have, to seize it, to operate in it. Y'all turn to 1 Chronicles. It's so important that we understand the times that we're in. In 1 Chronicles 12, tell me when you're there. Dustin beat y'all. Where are the rest of you? In 1 Chronicles 12, look at verse 23. Verse 23 says it this way, These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. So what is the setting? The setting is kingdom is raging against kingdom. We have Saul's kingdom that is fallen and whose kingdom that is rising? David's. David is a type of the Messiah. So the Messiah's kingdom is on the rise and Saul's kingdom is falling. And there are men who are armed for battle, those who were equipped, those who were ready to go out, they, they would know what God wanted them to do. And among the ranks of these men, if you look at verse 32, it says, Men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Two hundred chiefs with all their relatives under their command. The Davidic kingdom came into power with as little as two hundred chiefs that actually understood what was happening. What an amazing thing. We live in a time period where kingdom is clashing against kingdom. It's not just a battle of the uh, Islamic world with Western values and culture. We have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness clashing. Everywhere we go, there are people enslaved by one kind of demonic power or another. And we have been liberated and brought into the kingdom of the sun. We, we, we're those who are rescued. We've been armed for battle. The reason that you were filled with the power of God was to participate in His nature, to become like Him, to do the things that He does. 
That's why you were filled with power. Do we understand the time and our importance in it? Or do we simply go to work every day? Do we do what we did yesterday, tomorrow, and just kind of hope that the world changes by itself? I believe that you're men and women of destiny. I believe that as we understand where our place is in the world, we will have the courage to embrace our place in changing it. You are not a victim. You are not a victim of circumstance. You were not placed here to be acted upon. You were placed here to change the world like leaven changes dough. You are the light of the world. It is supposed to run darkness out. Spiritually speaking, you are the most dangerous thing in the room. When you walk in, there could be a hundred Muslims there, but they are not filled with the power that my little girl is filled with. They have the power to destroy her body. She's embraced the living God who has the power to save a soul. We need to understand the time and how serious things are. We really do. Friends, do you know how fast the world can change? I've seen pictures and showed them to you of European nations with wheelbarrows full of money and they're unable to buy bread. America's relative prosperity, America's affluence in the world, as far as history goes, this is a bit of an apparition. I've just come from a place where the average person's most daily struggle is what am I going to eat today? What would your life look like tomorrow if that was your struggle? Do you think we would be concerned with the same things we're concerned with now? Well, we say, Eric, but that's not our struggle. I think we need to understand the time. Because that is the struggle of most people in the world right now, and they're dying daily without hearing the gospel. So I'm going to propose a solution at Rosh Hashanah. This will come, this will come through our understanding of uh, Joshua 6. Turn to Joshua 6. Who in here knows the Hebrew names for the books? Okay, how about this? We start with Genesis, Bereshit. What's Bereshit mean? It means in the beginning. We move to Shemoth, that's Exodus. In the beginning, these are the names. Then Leviticus, Weigra. In the beginning, these are the names he called. Then Numbers, Bemidbar. In the beginning, these are the names he called in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is Devarim. In the beginning, these are the names he called in the wilderness and gave his word. The first five books of the Bible teach us about a people who were just as lost as any other people on the planet. But God met them where they were and he gave them his word. This is the story of every Christian. This is the story of every believer. We were lost without the presence and power of God, but his word entered our life and it began to change us. In this word, he outlines a feast schedule. Where we're at in the feast schedule is the sixth uh, month, which is the fifth feast. We move from Passover. Passover has to do with salvation. It's when death passed over God's people. Then we move to unleavened bread. Unleavened bread has to do with sanctification. It's when they went through their houses and removed every unholy influence. We move from unleavened bread to first fruits. This was the first time you brought an offering to the Lord and said, I want my life to look like Jesus. We move from there to the Feast of Weeks, or some would say Shavuot or Pentecost. This had to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the harvest. We can see these clearly in our lives. We're waiting for a Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets would pierce the darkness. 
The Feast of Trumpets would be a sound after a long silence. The Feast of Trumpets would involve seven trumpets. Just to give you a, an idea of the significance of the seven trumpets, before we read from Joshua, can I remind you of a couple of scriptures? Is that okay? Matthew 24, verse 31. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to refer to it. We'll come back and read. Jesus, speaking about the end time, said, With a loud trumpet call, they will gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. With a loud what? Trumpet, trumpet call. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, With the trumpet call of God. He said, With the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, the dead would rise. With a what call? Trumpet. A trumpet call. Maybe 1 Corinthians 15.52 is the best. And the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. So there would be more than one trumpet, but it would be a trumpet call that would announce the Lord's appearing. There would be a trumpet call that would announce the dead rising. There would be a trumpet call that would announce the changing of your body from something perishable to something imperishable. A trumpet was important. What is the first story in the Bible where trumpets are featured as the hallmark of the story? It's probably Jericho, is it not? Now, there were trumpets in Israel's history before this. You would blow a trumpet when you moved the camp. You would blow a trumpet when you went to war. How fitting. You would blow a trumpet when you ceased from war. Trumpets signified God's people's movement, war, and the feasts of God. Now, I've taught you many times in the past, Leviticus 23 calls the feasts of God a mikra, a rehearsal. A holy convocation, King James says. We were rehearsing for something over and over. Long before Rosh Hashanah was instituted, long before um, all of its modern associations, there was a city called Jericho. And it symbolized the strength of all of the world. Jericho sat on the edge of the promised land like a fortress, defending it from the people who were supposed to inherit it. In our lives, are there people that you're called to witness to? What prevents you? You ever been at work and you had in your heart to witness to somebody, but every time you begin to work up the courage, you walk towards them, somebody interrupts you, somebody gets in the way. There's always some kind of distraction. That is Jericho. That's Jericho all day long. It's what stands between you and what God has called you to inherit. It symbolizes the world. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? A man is headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He's going the wrong way. He's headed away from the promises of God and towards the world. Jericho always symbolized the world. The story of Jericho is the story of the world. This is how it goes with the world, and we can learn from it. Are you in Joshua 6? Yes. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. The story of Jericho has seven men, I'm sorry, has men with seven trumpets for seven days walking around the city uh, that symbolizes the world. And what is it that is leading them? The presence of God. And once every day, they would sound a trumpet. Now, these trumpets look just like these. 
the way that you get this is you have to have the crown from a sheep. You have to take the king of the sheep and you have to cut his crown from his head. You have to then remove the blood and the flesh that were inside this. And then you have to put something into it so that it clears the sound. What do you have to put into it? Breath. Breath. So you have the symbol of the authority of the, the king of the sheep. And you have inspiration that only God could give you. Where did man get his breath, Seek Got it from God. So you have the inspiration of God ringing out of your body with the authority of the king of the sheep, making an announcement to the world. They spoke no words. Do you understand this? They did not say repent and turn. They didn't say these things. They did something in symbol that is a message for us in the world for all time. You have no right to speak. You have no right to act in warfare. You have no right to throw a rock at the wall or to denounce those in it. What you have a right to do is be put on display before the world and speak only the inspiration of the king of the sheep. That's what you have a right to do. How many days did they do this? They did it for six days exactly like that. Once every day, led by the presence of God, moved by the Spirit of God, they sounded a clear call, as Paul would call it. What do you think the people inside the city are thinking? Mm -hmm. These folks are crazy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They're insane. What kind of battle plan is this? Do you think they were intrigued, though? Yeah. What do people say about you? Do you think that they think you're crazy? What kind of person gives away more than 10% of their income? What kind of person spends 160 hours on a plane in a year? What kind of person has a religious organization gives away more than 40 cents of every dollar? What kind of person is looking for more than 21 countries to visit in a year just to go touch somebody? What kind of people do these things? Have you had those practical thoughts? If we kept that money, what could we do for our own children? If if we didn't go somewhere all of the time, if we spent more time focusing here, do you all have those thoughts? I have them sometimes. I bet all the people in Jericho were thinking about how idiot, how, how backwards, how misguided this attempt was. But do you think they were intrigued? I assure you, my most ardent critics in my own family are still intrigued. They kind of want to know how this is going to turn out. They want to know if we're right. So what would happen if on the seventh day they didn't circle the city once, but they circled the second time? Would that indicate an escalation? Mm -hmm. What if they then did a third time? Does that indicate an escalation? Then a fourth, then a fifth, then a sixth, then a seventh, and then they blew seven trumpets. Did that indicate an escalation? Friends, understand where we are. We're in an escalation. If you can't feel that, then you need to get your spiritual life right. We're in an escalation. My chest tightens when I say it because I know that it's true. I feel that Holy Ghost grit rising in me that says, no, we won't love our lives so much as to shrink back from death. We will take the message wherever it needs to go because we're in an escalation. What is our job, saints? Our job is to be led by the presence of God. Get that ark out in front of you. The truth that's contained in His Word should lead us. It should guide our actions. It should show us how to take every step. And then as we're walking around the city that is the world, put on display before them, 
You remain silent except when he says speak, but when he says speak, you do it with all the authority of Jesus himself by the Spirit of God. This is what we're called to do. Now, I told you we were in the year 57. What did I say, 57? 72. 72. It's 228 years before the 6,000th year. I don't know how all of that works. About times and dates, I don't know. I can tell you, though, that there's an escalation occurring. Look at these next words. Sorry about that. Verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. When did they get up? Daybreak. daybreak. Come on. They started on the first day early in the morning. When was the, the when did they find the news of the resurrection? Early in the morning at daybreak. There's a life-giving message that's happening every day as we move from darkness and into light. The story of Genesis creation is one from darkness to light. So when you look and you see the darkness of Islam covering nations, what does the Bible have to say about that? They can move into light. Your life was once darkness, and it's now light, and it's the same story for every human being. They all need a shot at the light. And who is the light of the world? You are. You are. So they get up, and they are coming with the advance of the day. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the trumpet sounded, the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout. He didn't say speak. He didn't say whisper. He said, shout. Let me ask you something, church. Does your life shout a message? Come on now. Does your life whisper that you love Jesus? Does it intimate it? Does it say it in some kind of way so as not to offend anyone? Or does your life shout the power of God? See, because the goal is not a whisper. The goal is to shout it from the rooftops, as Pat Robertson said in the 50s. To shout it. When they shouted, what happened to the, to the walls of Jericho? They fell. There is a day coming when this world system will give way to the kingdom of God. It does not happen while the people sit on their salvation. They must march around the city. They must speak the words of God as inspired by God. And as the battle intensifies, the people of God escalate their efforts as led by God seven times on the seventh day. By the way, any of you Bible scholars in here, we have seven times on the seventh day. Do you know how many trumpets are listed in Revelation 8? Seven. Seven. You know what happens when the seventh trumpet is blown? We'll have to read that in a little bit, huh? There weren't eight trumpets. There weren't six trumpets. Paul said your body would be changed at the what trumpet? Last. The last is synonymous with seven. Turn with me then to Revelation 10. Ten verse seven. How about that? But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. The mystery of God would be accomplished when? When the seventh trumpet was blown. How about the 11th chapter? In the 11th chapter, look at the 15th verse. 
The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever and ever. Uh, I don't want to get into the theological debate as far as I'm concerned. There's not one. I mean, if there are seven trumpets and it's at the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet that the dead are raised. And when Christ returns, He raises the dead. If, if, if that is the basic theological story, then it sounds like the people of God are involved in this escalation. By the way, how many years do people teach the tribulation is? Seven. Is that amazing coincidence, you think? I just would like to tell you not that we're in the tribulation. Not that some world leader is the Antichrist. None of that kind of end times madness that has plagued the evangelical church for years. What I'm trying to tell you is that you can look around you and pray and feel it in your spirit. There's an escalation. And you have to escalate your game with it. I'm saying, church, it's time to step up, to shout the truth. We've sat back, we've been cornered in, into a polite little box that doesn't affect anyone or anything. Let's just suppose for a moment that a ridiculous Monty Python-like film about the false prophet, demonic leader, Muhammad, that, that that is what sparked riots all over the world. And it's just a, a, a random coincidence that it happened on 9-11, right? Let's just be wild, crazy conspiracy theorists and say that something uh, like that happened. Is there any film anywhere in the world that could say anything that could get the American church to get off of its salvation and make a noise? Well, maybe if they threaten Chick-fil-A and we really like to eat Chick-fil-A. I mean, because I love that number one chicken sandwich. Let's face it, there is no fast food like Chick-fil-A. So if they threaten our fast food, maybe for a day, we'll get motivated enough to spend, I don't know, $4.36 before tax. The world is escalating around us. We cannot afford to be ignorant any longer. I'm not suggesting you spend hours reading the Koran. I've got five or six or seven really good books, Suzanne, I'll point you to, that, that teach you about Islam so that you don't have to read the whole book yourself. But I would suggest that you can't make it through the fifth surah in the book without coming to the conclusion that every Muslim everywhere is compelled to wage war on every person who is not Islamic. And you know, Thomas Jefferson... He came to that same conclusion after reading less than half the book, although we completed it. And he said the only way to deal with these people as a nation is through the medium of war. And he ordered the very first marine invasion our country ever had. And in our times, we're taught not to say anything about it. What about all the people that are going to hell? What about the Jewish nation who held this book for you all of that time but has not yet been completed in their faith. What happens to them when a bomb is dropped in their city? What happens to them that are calling out to Yahweh God, but they do not know the truth of the Messiah and thus are not yet saved if they die today? What happens to them? The most difficult thing for me to wrestle with in all of my travels has been in the nation of Israel in the year 2004. Because I stood in a place where Palestinians 
wholesale slaughter of Jews. And the Jews were not from Israel. The Jews in this particular kibbutzim had moved Israel from all over the world in obedience to Isaiah's words. They were making olive. They were trying to be obedient to Yahweh God and they were going back to their ancestral land trying to honor God. And I was plagued with a different thought than every other person there. Every other person there was, you know, oh, this is, it's beautiful. It's like an Alamo setting. It's, I mean, we should really honor that. I was thinking, dear God, could these people have been moved by faith, gone all the way here and spilled their blood and no Christian shared the truth with them. See, the reason that Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map is because it wipes out God's promise for everybody, not just Israel. He doesn't keep his promise to them. He can't keep his promise to you. The reason Iran wants to wipe Israel off the face of the map is because he wants to destroy them before God opens the fountain in Jacob and they become the glory of the world that they've always been called to be. Come on now. Israel's acceptance of the gospel is life from the dead. It is the last trumpet. The trumpet of God will blow. By the way, in our feast schedule, Rosh Hashanah has seven trumpets. At the seventh trumpet, do you know what it announces? It announces Yom Kippur. It announces the Day of Atonement is here. Israel is saved as a nation. They killed animals provided for Israel by Israel. They killed them. And those animals' blood covered their sin. Jesus was killed by Israel for Israel to cover their sin. Rosh Hashanah every year is a reminder that we wait for the same trumpet they wait for. It's a reminder that says there is a day when God will save the whole nation. You know what our job is until then? To see the nations of the world born again, including Israel. Including them. To pray for peace in Israel. That God's covenant people would exist to complete the covenant. Is that important to anybody in here? That's important to me. It's important to me. If what you heard me teach today was that we hate Muslims, you are so wrong. I give my life to see a Muslim come into the kingdom. You don't believe me? You just watch. We do not hate Muslims any more than we hate Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or anybody else that is misdirected. We hate the demonic power that uses Islam to enslave Muslims. We hate that when they act on the tenets of their faith, it results in the death of innocents. We hate that. We do not hate Muslims. We love them enough to minister to them. But let me tell you something. You will never minister to a Muslim if you don't know your own Bible. You will never minister to a Muslim if you cannot put feet to your faith. You will never minister to a Muslim if you cannot risk your life. You won't. So the two people groups in the world that may be delaying the Lord's coming, if you want to think of it that way, are Islam and Judaism, who both have a real powerful role to play. Our role in that is that we need to see Islam saved so that Israel can be saved. Come on. We're marching around Jericho waiting for the wall, walls to fall. Well, do you see any cracks in the wall yet? Come on, Brandon. Do you see any cracks in the wall yet? Anybody in here wants to go a second time around today? Or are we still convinced it's day two and everything is still a long time off? Anybody want to go three times around the wall today? 
Anybody want to go just a little further? I said today is the day to use all seven gears, friends. Mm -hmm. Today is the day to blow all seven trumpets. Today is the day to shout for Jesus. Amen. Look, we're closed here. But my wife received a prophecy. And in that prophecy, whether you believe it or not, makes no difference to us. In that prophecy, it indicated a timeline. Now, we don't know how long the timeline is, but it was a shortened timeline. If you thought that there was a good chance that you might get your head cut off ministering to Muslims, which is not what we believe, but if you believe that, what would your response be to that? Do you go hide in your library? Do you go study for a few more years to prepare? What do you do? Because I can tell you we're trying to set you an example and that we believe that there is a good chance we may have the honor of giving our lives for Jesus. So we promptly went to 21 countries to do it. And thus far, I'm pretty disappointed it hadn't happened yet. I'm telling you that it is time to have a reckless abandonment of concern for your life and all of its accoutrements. And it is time to raise a shout for Jesus. Amen? Amen. The world shouts, don't they? Yes. I mean, they're really proud of their wickedness, aren't they? Yes. Can we not be as proud of our Savior as they are of their Antichrist spirit? I think you can. I actually feel empowered by this church. I feel empowered because I know that even if I'm gone for more than 90 days in a year, like this one, I know that your attachment is to Jesus and not to me. I know that you will carry out the things that we taught whether I'm here or not. I know that. But it's exciting to come home to you every time. Amen. It's exciting to be in worship and know that the potential in this room is every bit as big as the potential in the upper room when they first got filled with open doors. Amen. There is no difference today from then. None. It's just ordinary men who dared to do extraordinary things. Right? Yeah. So you don't have to go out and strain. You don't have to go out and fight. The Lord is going to put us in the midst of trouble. He's going to do it. And those who call upon His name, those who rely upon Him, He'll deliver. It's that simple. Yeah. Who wants to be delivered? Come on. I want to be delivered. I want to be delivered right through it, not from it. I, I want to reach the mark and serve God's purpose in this generation. Y'all stand to your feet.